Are you a member of a loyalty program? Is it eBucks, Voyager Miles, UCount, Discovery Miles, Greenbacks, Avios, Smart Shopper, Bonvoy, or Skywards? Whether it's a bank, retailer, or even a restaurant, do you believe you're getting the maximum value out of yours? Are there even better ones out there that offer you more cash back or better points? Welcome to What's the Point, the podcast about loyalty programs and how you can maximize your rewards. And now, here's your host, Elon Russell. Hello and welcome to this episode of What's the Point. Now today, we have got a guest in the studio with me. I'm joined today by Louis Robenheimer. Louis, welcome to What's the Point. Oh, thanks very much, Elan, and thanks for inviting me, and I'm really excited to be here. Now, Louis, you've got a very interesting background because you come from the loyalty business, right? You used to work with a major uh, program uh, actually doing all the construction of a loyalty program. Tell us more about that and your background. Yeah, Elan, I was actually quite fortunate because um, when I started – I was the chief operating officer, and at that point, um, you know, I was also quite fortunate to also manage the technology side of it, as well as the design component of it, and uh, yeah, so it was basically, uh, you know, um, looking after the entire backing system of uh, of the program. So how long have you been in the loyalty game, and give us a number of years in, in terms of your experience? So I was five years now in the game as a chief operating officer and also as a, let's call it the CIO slash design expert in that space. So um, yeah, it was quite an interesting journey and it, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's very interesting in terms of the science also behind it. And that's uh, the science you mentioned over there. That's something that we want to talk about a little bit today because uh, I think a lot of people don't understand the value of points. I'm constantly, whenever I go to a bri, I'm talking to people and I kind of feel like I'm in this little echo chamber talking about how I'm excited about this program and that program and, ooh, did you see this thing that came out that's new? And everyone looks at me like I've lost my mind. And uh, I know that when you and I first met one another and we started talk, talking about loyalty, uh, I was like, oh, I found a kindred spirit over here. This is somebody who actually understands my obsession. Uh, and uh, it, it, we, we kind of clicked because it was something that we both were interested in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, what is very interesting about these type of discussions is always, um, you know, you're looking at it from a business perspective, setting up the programs uh, uh, to the benefit of the business. And then you also to talk to the customers or the consumers and you always get their perception of what they want from the program. And then I was very fortunate to also do quite a lot of research on uh, on the rewards and loyalty programs. And then you look at the academic perspective of it. And then you like almost put these three components together. And in the South African context, and uh, not want to preempt the whole discussion a bit, but we saw that the three doesn't necessarily always match what the consumer wants versus what the business wants as a expected outcome and versus what the science is, what we should do. This is, this is a, a, a talking point between my wife and myself. And I think a lot of people always uh, talk about this in, in that as I'm, I'm thinking of this from a consumer's point of view. Like you said, there's three parts. There's the consumer, which is what I kind of represent right here. There's the business, which you used to represent, but let's be very clear, you no, are no longer with any loyalty programs uh, right now, but you're coming in as 
the expert to give us a perspective of what it's like to think about loyalty and rewards programs from a business perspective. And then thirdly, the scientific side. So the, the, the point of contention that my wife and I always have is I'll say to her, ah, oh, our points came in from this program. And, ah, oh, geez, why didn't we hit that level? Something's wrong over here. Something happened. And she always says, ah, oh, there's always a catch. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, uh, that Absol- phrase before. Absolutely. So this is one of the questions, and I don't mean to put you on the spot over here, but I have to ask you, are businesses trying to catch consumers out or do they legitimately want people to take advantage of these loyalty programs and benefit in a big way? Yeah, so for businesses, the important thing for businesses, obviously, repeat, repeat purchases. Um, what they want to achieve at the end of the day is, is you as a, uh, as a consumer or customer, that uh, they create loyalty through differentiation because the, the, biggest, uh, the biggest problem currently in the market is commoditization of products. And um, specifically in the banking industry, it's, uh, it's becoming a, a, quite a big issue because a transactional product is a transactional product and a savings product is a savings product. And, and, what you, and, and the big challenge is the differentiation that you want to design around that to change the consumer behavior in such a way that consumers at the end of the day want to do repeat purchases. So what you want to do is, is you actually want, if you're in the banking and financial industry, you actually want the customer to say, yes, I've had a great experience in terms of taking up uh, vehicle financing. And what I want to do is I want to open my home loan as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just talk about um, asset financing. So you want that repeat purchases. You want the customer to come back. Um, research also shows it's extremely expensive to get new customers and what you rather want to do is just retain and maintain your current customers so so that's the game that's a game for business so business is about you know putting that extra bit on top that cherry on top of the cake and saying to the customer and the customer then adopts that and say well that's great you know i actually like it and the fact that I like it, you know, there's even the light that I'm getting out of it, um, because that's the new concept now in the theory, is, is um, we've moved past the fact to just decommoditize a product. We actually need to go into delighting customers. And the question is, so if you achieve that delightment with a customer, uh, you at the end of the day will probably achieve repeat purchases. Now that's from a... That's from a business perspective. Yes, tell us, tell us from more from a from a scientific point of view. Why why do some people? Maybe you can answer this, and maybe this is something that you've already thought about and done some research on. Why do some people get totally obsessed with points and rewards programs, myself included, and other people just couldn't give a damn? There's a, there's also a question around the, the segmentation of the market currently. Um, and what the first question that you have to also ask yourself and which uh, you have to look at the customers and which segments do they fall. Your entry-level customers, specifically in South Africa, you know, we're sitting, with a, we're sitting probably with a good 30 million customers in South Africa, consumers, which, which are really an entry-level market, which do not necessarily would like to join the rewards and loyalty programs to, to get uh, value-added services to go to... Uh, some other spa treatment or to go to overseas, uh, they just cannot afford it for mm-hmm. them. It's um, their basic living. So those type of customers, at the end of the day, are extremely sensitive around 
the monetary value that yeah. they get out of the program. It's price, right? It's, so it at the end of the day, it's price yeah. and what they get on every single purchase. And mm-hmm. if you look at the new programs, some of the new programs that's now being launched. I'm very excited about this uh, Checkers Extra Savings one. And what you, what you see there is, is that you see uh, 25% of instant, instantly on selected products. Yeah. That's instant gratification. At the end of the day, uh, for that market, it's all about getting money back into my pocket as soon as possible because that money I'm going to use to buy essentials. Now, the literature talks about um, actually quite a lot, and uh, it actually starts off with uh, with a guy called Herzenberg. He started uh, the theory, which is, so we all know Maslow's theory. Yes, of Maslow's hierarchy my, of needs. Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Sure. So, so what's what's actually quite fundamental about it? Is this guy actually started Hertzberg started the theory of consumer needs. So, so not not basic needs in terms of what our basic, but what's a consumer's basic needs? And he actually leveled in three levels, and he starts off to say, but your basic need is a product. First, satisfy a simple product need for the customer, and. Then he says the second level to that is that you have to gratify the customer beyond that. And I don't think he said it in so many words, but it's more about then decommoditization where everybody now starts to play. And then his third level says, and that's by the way, level that he only developed many years later in terms of hierarchy. And it's it's based on various research that was done by other researchers. We added the third level where he said, where, this, where the delight factor is coming in and the satisfaction levels is coming in. So I said, so what he basically says, first satisfy this basic product need and we can have a discussion around what the product need means because now that's an interesting one again because the literature actually differentiates between that as well. But you basically start off with a basic product need. On top of that, there's something else that I want. For example, you know, if I buy, if you look at sports caps today's, it's a it's a closure. It's that one famous one that you pull open, and when you have a sports drink, you know you drink through it. In the old days, it wasn't there. Okay. In the old days, it was just a, a PET or a HCP bottle, and you had your sports drink in, and you open a cap, and it spilled all over you. And then they developed these very clever sports caps, which yes. you now open, and the sports cap is you can see as a VAP, as a value added product to the current product which have added a lot of value to customers and customers start to adapt that. And and these days, you might not even see it's a value add. You see it as a basic product construct, but that's part of the product. But it didn't initially probably start there. It probably started there as a differentiator. So what he's talking about, he says the second level is adding those differentiators. And then the third level on top of that is the light. So the light factors in that example, which uh, will probably be something like you know, on the label, you never buy it, you know, you can win, you can win a trip or okay, so something else. But it's, that's it's, the giving, delight part. it's really that delight part for customers. And literature today says, if you design these programs and you don't reach the delight piece, you're, you're going to miss the mark. Sure. That's interesting. So, because now that you're putting it in these terms, I'm noticing certain things. I mean, I, I like all different things. For me, I kind of like the you know, even just saving a cup. If, if I can save a rand somewhere, I still get excited about it. But I do also love the delight side of things and everything in between. And I recently saw something, it was probably about two days ago. I think it's actually currently on right now, up until the end of this year, 2019, 
where F&B, for example, is has got some sort of a big promotion. You can win, I think they're putting out like, I don't know, something ridiculous, like 15 million rand or something like that. And with one, with one, with a grand prize being of 1 million rand. So are you saying that that is part of the delight factor? Because you, they want you to do the normal things like e-bucks and all the other things that F&B does offer. But this is taking it and getting into that third level, that delight level. Absolutely. And, but also what I'm saying is, is, you know, the different segments has different expectations in terms of what the light means. And, and there's a lot of research that needs to be done um, when you construct a program to understand what does these different levels mean uh, for your specific segment. So the first thing we actually need to start off is do a proper segmentation of your base. And then based on your segmentation, starts with some research in terms of what does the product proposition means? What does a value-added product or a value-added service or any differentiator on top of that means? And then you go to the next level and say, but what does the light means for these customers to the third level? So when you are successful in that, the literature talks about, about two things that's going to happen. You're either going to have behavioral adoption or attitudinal adoption. Now, now let me explain that a little bit more in more simplistic terms. Behavioral adoption is something where I will adopt it because I'm going to adopt it just because I'm uh, used to it. I'm doing it every single day and it's a normal behavior and I'm just doing it on a, almost uh, repetitively. Okay, that's behavioral. That's behavioral. Okay. But attitudinal is actually where you want to get because I'm actually doing it because you convinced me to do it, not because... I am doing it as a normal day-to-day activity. That's the interesting thing because, like, there's certain things that I do. I mean, I'll give you an example on a personal level. Last night, 8 o'clock, I look at it. It's Wednesday evening, and I look at my phone, and I open up my, you know, I'm a, I'm a discovery vitality freak. So I look at the phone. Oh, man, I've only got 200 vitality points for the week. I've got to get to 900 by Friday night. Now it's Wednesday, I can only get a maximum of 300 points per day. So that means 300, 300, 300. I could do it, but I've got to get at least 100 points on Wednesday so that I can get 300 on Thursday and 300 on Friday that I can hit my 900 for the week. And so I go to the gym. It's, I'm sitting there. It's 8.30 at night. I, sit, I actually we, I went there in my uh, – I did have some sneakers on, my tackies, and, but I had like my work pants on, right, which are not really built for working out in, to be perfectly honest. I get to the gym, I, I, obviously I swipe my card, that instantly gives me 100 points. And then I call my wife and I say, do you need me home like anytime soon? And she's like, why? I said, because ah, if I do the 30-minute workout right now, I'm going to get 300 points and then that will take me up to you know, 500 for the week and then, then I know that I only have to get 300 between the two days. So there I am sitting in my work pants and my and my work shirt and my tackies sitting on the elliptic you know on the elliptical machine working out looking at my heart rate so it changed my attitude about it as you're saying which in turn has changed my behavior all because I'm trying to get these points and I'm sitting there going what what is wrong with me like why am I doing this sort of weird stuff but I know that if I hit my you know my 900 points that next Wednesday I'm going to get three chances on the game board to to possibly win some really cool prizes and things like that. Even if it is just a couple of bucks, it really has made a huge change. So, you know, 
personally speaking, I can tell you that what you're saying, the behavior and the attitude, certain programs, uh, and of course, I'm, I'm happy to endorse certain ones that I take advantage of, uh, and I, I'm always looking at new ones, but these ones have done that for me. They've actually changed the way that I behave. And then I got up early this morning and I went to the gym again to get another 300 points. This time, at least, I was wearing some shorts. Yeah, 100%. And it's, it's that attitudinal piece that almost, that almost like, uh, like you explained it actually quite well, is fighting your normal behavior. Yeah. It's, it's where your attitude uh, actually changes and you're saying, listen, I'm going to fight the normal behavior of, you know, I actually don't want to do it now, but I'm going to do it because the benefits is just phenomenal. So whatever... And, and your perception, it's phenomenal. And, and, and that's why it just changes your behavior. Um, so it's quite interesting because um, if you then look from a model, so the consequence of that is repeat purchase behavior. Yeah. So that's almost like the end of that value chain, if you can talk, talk if you can see it almost a value chain. You know, there's certain products that you're interested in as a consumer. You know, they sit in delight and satisfaction and behavioral and non-commoditizing factors that's putting, that's, uh, you know, put on top of that. That convinced you to, you know, adopt that. It's either, uh, be, uh, you know, attitudinal or behavioral or, you know, it changes your attitude or you stay with your current behaviors. And if you have more attitudinal at the end of the day, you then sit with more repeat purchases. So that's almost how, how that little value chain actually all fits together and at the end and that's purely almost from a scientific perspective and that's why i'm saying to when we had the discussion right in the beginning is it's quite interesting to have these discussions with consumers mm. what did you learn i mean what you know as you said you you find your market segment you say this is who we're after and then how does it work? I mean, do you do sort of consumer studies where you get people around a table and you start asking them questions? What would you like if – because I did that once. I, 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 I was part of something, and then they said – I remember what it was. It was Protea Hotels when Protea got bought out by Marriott. Yeah. And then they said, hey, you've got this Protea special card. with It's, it's called ProCard, which I still subscribe to. It's a great program. And they said, now we're going to be – you know, part of Marriott now, would you be happy or would you be sad if you got this but not that? And this, did, did you do something similar to that when, when you start initiating and setting up a program? So I'm going, I'm going to give you sad news, uh, specifically in terms of South African context, is I personally see that the South African programs is a follow-me program. Ah. So so it's a copy-paste. So, mm. so what happens is, and uh, I don't want to mention program names now, uh, the different rewards and loyalty programs, but uh, you sit in the boardroom and always one program is held up and saying, "Oh, but this is an amazing program, and it's working, uh, and, in it's, America, working, and or it's, it's working, and it's working in Australia." Exactly. So let's, let's do the same thing, or, here. or it's even working in South Africa. The one, ah. the one problem is the one problem. So, by the way, South Africa is, is one of the countries with the with the highest amount of rewards and loyalty programs in the world. So, I'm quite surprised to hear you say that. You know. Well, maybe not, because there's so many over here that if something's working, let's say it's, you know, the Smart Chopper program with Pick and Pay, like, okay, it's working, let's just copy them, but make it slightly bit better, let's offer maybe a half a percent better, and then, you know, we'll take first place. So is that something that sort of happens? That, that's what's happening. And the problem with that is, is that the market segments that you're playing in, 
is not the same market segments. Mm. So, so I mean, you can look up and let's say I'm looking up to the discovery program like you've uh, just mentioned a bit earlier. So I'm looking up at the discovery program. The discovery member base is is more your core middle market, which we call a core middle market and upper and your wealth base. Um, it's more discovery customers. It's not entry-level customers. And the problem is copying and pasting that program and you've got an entry-level market base. Uh, you know, you're going to sit with a problem because um, you're going to basically lose the behavioral, consumer behavior that you want to achieve for that market, for for whatever that per- percentage of your customer base you're going to lose. Uh, you, they're never going to adopt your program. They're never going to be happy with the program. And it's never going to have the, the actual, um, uh, let's call it, uh, uh, almost scientific out, outcome that you would like from it, which at the end of the day, like I've said to you, is repeat purchases. Is uh, because you're just going to miss that base. So there's different levels. I mean, different things that are going to appeal to different people based upon their economic levels. So as potentially, I mean, it's interesting what you talked about with Discovery because I feel like now with them, they've got a certain client base. Uh, and they're, as you said, they've been more in that middle to upper income and maybe the wealthy base uh, of of customers Correct. now they've opened up the bank and of course you can't just have a bank that focuses on wealthy people uh, or <laughs> uh, maybe there's there's enough in the middle class and things so uh, how is that you know is what they're trying to do going to appeal you know that's been appealing okay great not everyone's going to rush to the gym like i am like an idiot uh, to get their points but are they going to do a similar sort of thing now with a bank so you are spot on Mm. And I think that's that's going to be the question for a company like Discovery going forward. Um, I think that's going to be the challenge and in terms of the current program and the construct for the current program. You know, in terms of, you know, is that program really in its current context uh, a fit? Maybe the better answer there, and we've grappled with that a lot, is potentially creating either one or two, three programs within the program. And actually what you do is, is you do create an entry-level okay. program and yes. a Cormel market program and also… Uh, They've done that, actually. They, they, they created like a core program, uh, specifically for the health, actually. So there were like benefits for going to pick and pay and things like that. But you didn't have to have the whole full suite. You didn't have to be one of their sort of, you know, more, I guess, their general members. It was like a, hey, here's the, a light version of it. Uh, more geared towards entry level, but come in, see what it's all about. In fact, I think uh, they even tested something where they said, hey, our loyalty program is open to everybody for a period of time, right? It was just, hey, you do these activities, you do some exercise, you get healthier, let's get the whole country moving in that general direction and let's just invite everyone in, which was an interesting concept. I mean, I, I don't, they seem to be pushing the boundary I'm quite positive about them, obviously, you can hear. I don't think they are perfect, and I don't think that they do everything super well, but I like it when people push the boundary. They make it more interesting and appealing for people like me, the consumer, that wants to see, hey, what can I get out of this program? Is it worthwhile me participating in? Uh, so I, I like that. I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan, like you've said, which is I'm a bit dismayed to hear that a lot of the programs are uh, me too's. No. <laughs> not hashtag me too, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So if you look at the research that we did, so if we can just just quickly go through that little value. Please tell me more about that. I want to hear what you've. Let's let's quickly go through that little value chain again. 
So what is the research? So there's something which I call hedonic and utilitarian and and so I'll quickly explain that. It's actually quite simple. It's uh, very very difficult academic names again, like uh, we know the academics can be, but uh, it's actually quite simple. So utilitarian is exactly what the word says, utility. So it's something that I want to buy because I need it. Like toilet paper. Uh, toilet paper, I absolutely. So, But then there's hedonic. Now hedonic is something which I don't re- really necessarily need. I want to go uh, on a trip to Spain and I want to go, where, you know, I want to have a very fancy car. A, f- a car, by the way, you can debate, is utilitarian. But do I really need a Ferrari? Uh, probably not. I definitely do. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I definitely do. I don't even have a car. I, I, I get around uh, either by, you know, I share a car and I, or I Uber everywhere. So, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. Is it really necessary? That's always a question to ask. Well, Maybe we'll do a future episode just on, like, what's utilitarian? What do you really need? Just to, just to get by. That's actually that's actually quite amazing, and and exactly what you now say is something that we've also uh, grappled with a bit in terms of, you know, do you really need a car? We've brought up with the sense that we need a car, yeah. but actually you don't need these oh, well, days look. with Uber and everything else available, all the transportation available. The question is, do you really need it? That's it, and and I think uh, you know if you can break down your life to as you're saying the utilitarian items that you really need, is there a way to get all those? technically for free through rewards programs because my ideal life is I get everything that I need whether it's shelter transport food entertainment you know all those things taken care of all through loyalty programs and then I can do whatever I want I can live in a cruise ship you know which gets paid for by points that would be uh, my ideal <laughs> but uh, I'm, we're getting away from it let's get back to hedonistic so you said hedonistic is, is hedonic 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 I'm sorry the, the hedonic, hedonic and yeah. utilitarian so hedonic on the other side okay you've, you've got that now it's the least it's the ones that you don't really need that much and and, and then and then there's a, there's a third category there which is symbolic so so symbolic we know uh, I I mean I'm sure if I just use the example of te, you know the um, uh, electric cars and you sure. know, the, to, the Toyota Prius. Prius, there was quite a lot of research done on that, for example, to understand why do why do why do people not really buy a Prius? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it's a great car and probably you know and it's a it's a it's a low lo, low carbon emission and you know, it's an electric car and that's a way to go and it's the future, but why does people, Why do people not still not buy it? Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I've, there's quite a lot of jokes about it. Yeah, it's obviously a, ESCOM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the question, uh, and the research showed that it's because of symbolic value. So, so the is, customer symbolic value is, uh, is quite high up in the, on, on the psychological agenda. And, and that's typically uh, my driving... Uh, and be careful around the brands, but am I driving a Mercedes or am I driving another car? Yeah. Okay. One that's less not 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 necessarily seen to be be such a such a, a, a symbolically um pertinent car. You know, and, and so so what they've seen is is that the problem with customer purchase behavior is is a part of that is affected by the symbolic awareness. Now that's the three components. So the first thing is do I really do I need something? Mm-hmm. Is it something nice to have, or am I buying it just for the symbolic value of it? I actually don't need it. It's not really nice for me, but 
you know what, if I do have it, and there's a lot of research done on Parker Pen and, you know, in the old days, uh, if, you, if you look at the consumer behavior literature around that, so a lot of customers do it because they just want the symbolic value of it. Yeah. So if you look at rewards and loyalty programs, starting off there, what do you expect in the research to see? Do you see? Do you want to see hedonic to come through strong, or do you want to see utilitarian to come through strong, or symbolic? Now, our expectation was that we would see hedonic coming through strong because rewards and loyalty programs works on differentiation, not okay. on the core product, not necessarily on product level. Remember, I said in the beginning, products yeah. are commoditized. Yeah. So your utilities is commoditized. Okay. But what you would like to see is, is that the donic comes through quite strong if if those if the prog- programs is constructed correctly. So the bad news is utilitarian came out strong. Wow. And the donic came out less less pertinent. And I can imagine that what was the third one again? The uh, symbolic. So symbolic, symbolic probably not very much uh, at all. So symbolic was symbolic was was not that high. It was also on the lower side, but symbolic for us, we've tested it, but it was not something that we expected that rewards and loyalty programs really would drive. Because, I mean, if if it drives brand value and you want to make a symbolic value out of your brand, and I don't want to uh, sound like a marketer or, pro- or talk like a marketer, yeah. I'll be careful to do that. But, you know, if your program does focus on creating a very strong brand that creates a symbolic value, they, then yes you would expect symbolic to come through. But mm. I don't think a lot of programs really in South Africa and specifically, uh, you know, overseas ones is, is really focusing on that. I think it's... Fo- yeah, I don't think I don't think Ferrari's got like a frequent purchaser program, you know, buy two and get <laughs> one free or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's actually, that's actually quite true. Our question was to the participants, uh, we've asked them, what do they see as the primary driver of the rewards and loyalty program? Does it create a need for utilitarian products or does it create a, a need for hedonic products? Mm-hmm. So why did we ask that? Because, like I've said to you, the differentiation factor sits on the hedonic side. So mm-hmm. what you would expect is uh, rewards and loyalty programs doesn't play, that does not play on a simple product level. A rewards and loyalty program doesn't want to as such. Remember, we are working on consumer psychological level mm-hmm. we do not work on on product level so we want to change the consumer psychology to think differently about the product but not think necessarily of the product but think differently about the product which is which is a different concept the point i w- want want to make there is is that so if you look at the advert the advert says you know you can take up um, you ca- you can buy whatever product you can buy sunlight sunlight soap. Okay, no, that's great. I mean, the the, the the advert aims at you buying a utility, which is something you need. Mm-hmm. But then maybe the advert goes one one level further, which is um, remember this is the checkers. This is checker. Let's use the checkers example. This is a checkers program, and. With every single purchase, you'll get twenty five up to twenty five percent back uh, instantly on selected products. Mm-hmm. So, so nowhere in the brochure you will ever see on the rewards and loyalty program that it necessarily wants to sell a product. But what it says is, if you buy that product, 
you definitely do get a lot back. Now, or you get something back. Mm. And that something is either going to be monetary in nature or mm. non-monetary. And that depends on what segment, uh, on what segment you targeted your program at. Now, that's an interesting thing because when it comes to, I'm always, I have been in the past, always very much more focused on saying getting money back is not necessarily the best thing to do. But maybe, as you're saying, maybe it's because of the segment that I fall into. For me, I'd much rather get the miles or the points because I know what I can do with miles and points. I can do a heck of a lot more as opposed to just getting money. Is that what you found? Absolutely. So so a piece of re- research I also read a while back, they've done research on, uh, call it the lower end of the pyramid okay. in South Africa, which is probably about 30 million people. Wow. I, I, and I mean 20 to 30 million people. And the problem is, is I mean, they earn like 14, that was about four years back, yeah. research. I think they, they earn like something like 14 rand a day. And or and and then it's probably let's say today it's twenty six rand or whatever it is. Okay. Now the problem there is, is, I mean, that that part of the market doesn't want the trip to to Italy. Yeah, because um, you could give them a free ticket, but then what are they going to do once they get there? They're not. Uh, yeah, so it, it's it, pointless. It's pointless. So so the fact is, is I I just want to go and buy airtime. Mm. Now let me tell you, if I'm in that segment. And if I'm in that market, to give me airtime or to give me, you know, a coupon to go and buy uh, milk or to go and buy bread is going to be 10,000 times more valuable psychologically and physically than giving me a trip. Mm. And that's what the programs in South Africa is missing. We all live in a copy-paste world of copy and pasting the one program that's working and, oh, oh, yes, but that must work for everybody else. It will not work for you. I get frustrated with that. I have to be honest. I get SMSs all the time. Oh, do this and you'll get five rand of airtime. I mean, and I sit there going, do, do you even know, like, who I am? I, why are you exactly. even bother? You, you've probably spent more money sending me this stupid message than you're going to get from people like me. Why are you doing this? Because you're not in the airtime market. You're, you're, but, but somebody else that would get it would be absolutely be you know, out of this world about uh, just receiving airtime. So the research showed that utilitarian is coming out strong, which says the programs is driving, arguably not differentiation, but it's more driving the product, product sales, which to my point is is actually missing the point of programs, of Mm. what the program's all about. Then you go to the next level to say, okay, the light. I've said to you that the light is the in thing now. In the the light is the, the new flavor of That's the month. That's the new so. flavor of the month. So if I bought a product and there was some differentiation and there was hedonic benefits to it, then I should actually have a lot of the light. Now, shockingly, that came out extremely low, which mm. says that programs didn't get that scientific answer yet for them to know that it's – Actually, from a research perspective, it already moved. To differentiate your proposition is not good enough. You need to actually need to add on the delight factors. So the question is, what does these delight factors mean? Now, I've asked this question quite a lot in, in, my, in my studies and, and also have tried to read it in literature. And I think the best explanation that we got from it, uh, you know, was the practical explanations around, you know, I'm, I'm going 
let's use the bank again. Mm-hmm. I'm going in and I'm going to do my transactions, which most of people don't want to do in a bank anymore. But let's say I, I do and end up in a bank right. in once a, a year, in the yep. branch once a year or twice a year. You know, uh, you know Im- immediately I'm I'm putting on soft chairs and, you know, there's a ticket put in my hand to say, okay, you know what, don't worry. We're going to service you in 10 minutes and within 10 minutes you're going to be serviced. But by the way, we also give you a cappuccino in your hand. There's a cappuccino. Don't worry. And by the way, don't worry. You know, we've got free Wi-Fi. While you sit here, you can sit and work. And we will even help you to make your work experience quite a nice work experience while you sit in a bank and wait. And by the way, you know, if you go, if you leave here, you know, we give you a little hamper with you because, you know, we, you're really a valued customer of us. I want to, I want to join your bank. Uh, this sounds uh, me good. too. I'm actually quite excited about that now. It sounds like a new business venture. <laughs> so the cool thing about all of that is that's the light. That's where you create the light. And none of the rewards and loyalty programs is there. None of them creates the light because it's, again, copy and paste. So everybody is just following or following the leader. Nobody breaks out of that uh, out of that mold. Everybody is too scared. Because why? Because your investment in rewards and loyalty programs is quite extensive. It must be huge. And it's it, huge. This is the thing that recently, and I, I think I've, I'm, I, I either uh, am going to be releasing a, a, an episode specifically about this, Again, it was a discovery bank thing, and discovery banks again it's it's topical it's brand new it's one of the things that if people have been waiting for for a heck of a long time trying to see is this going to be the new e box is it going to be something it's it's a major bank that's coming into the market now trying to take on the big four uh big five if you include capitech so the question is they have a program that they've introduced where, like in the past, you could get a watch an apple watch if you did uh you know, some activity and things, or you could get shoes. I mean, actually, I'm, I'm wearing my Apple Watch right now. This is my second watch that I got from doing that. These are my shoes, right? Which, that's also why I had to go to the gym the other night. I've got to pay for these things, right? I only pay for them if I go each week and I do my goals. But they introduced a third thing, which now for Discovery Bank customers was get yourself a free iPhone. Is that delight? Is that what they were trying to do with getting a free iPhone if you, again, you know, jump through a whole bunch of hoops. Was is that what they were trying to do? Yeah. So, so that's one of the things. But the other thing that they also want to do is, is um, so a lot of the rewards and loyalty conferences, uh, there was basically two angles to rewards and loyalty. Okay. One angle was repeat purchase behavior. Um, we want to sell products. Then there was a second angle, is we want your data. Ooh. Okay. This is this is uh, <laughs> ooh, this is a deep rabbit hole. This one, yeah, yeah. So so, and I've always said, you know, in in, in South Africa, we've had um, we've had quite a lot of propositions. Where um, well, there was one very famous one um, where you know you could get an iPad device if you, or you can get a, you know, you get an iPad device if you open an account, mm. for example. Yeah. So. I know there was a lot of critics around that to say, yeah, but oh, it never worked because, I mean, everybody took it up and then they closed all the accounts. Okay. It was the most amount of, not necessarily closed it, but it was the most amount of dormant accounts in South Africa. Oh, wow. And I, and I always say to people, that's that wasn't a problem. That's not a problem because they've got your data now. They know who you are. You've bought that product, and when you bought it, you need to go through an onboarding process. So they know your name, they know your surname, they know they your know cell your number, income level, they know income everything. level. They know everything now. Wow! 
And that is more than good enough. So you can go dormant and you can you can even close your account, which is fine. Um, I mean, there's legislation around, you know, at one point I need to not keep your data and I need to, yeah, you know, especially I now. need to destroy your data, especially now. In those days, I don't think it was that, uh, you know, that strict. But the fact of the matter is, is what can I do? I can now phone you again. Mm. I can now phone you and say, Elon, um, you know what? I see your account's dormant and it gives me the opportunity to speak to you. Mm. And when I can speak to you, I can engage with you. And then if I engage, I can maybe initiate a purchase. So the other theory about rewards and loyalty programs is maybe they should entice you to give your data now. Let's get to the devices mm. because there's maybe two reasons why I would, there's a few reasons why I would like to give you a device. First thing is, is yes, delight. You are, you're quite happy with me. It's a differentiated offering. So it's probably playing a bit in the hedonic space as well. Mm-hmm. It's hedonic, it's delight. And then, you know, but the other thing is, is also is that device that I gave you, you need to transact on. And especially if it's my company's SM, SIM card, those transactions is going through my banking systems. So I know now much more about you than just your normal banking transactions. I can, I potentially, I've got your GPS locations potentially. I know where you're going. I know what you're doing. Now I'm playing in a few, on a few levels here. I'm playing on the level also of getting your data or of, of knowing you much better. Now that's, that's what all the businesses tries to achieve is know their customers. And I suppose now with, with artificial intelligence coming into the picture in the world, in the world of business right now, it's only a matter of time before this company that you are interacting and transacting with on a daily basis, you're not even really thinking about it. It knows you better than you know yourself. It knows what you're going to spend, when you're going to spend it, even knows things that you don't even know yet. Uh, Elon, spot on. I, I got. You know, I must tell you a funny story because this is. Uh, there was a company when you're talking about this now. Uh, I remember talking to one of my one of my clients in in the United States, and he was saying one of the stores kind of got so into this. They got to know their customers so well that they actually were starting to see when a woman came in to purchase her uh, female hygiene products. So much so that when they noticed that there was a gap in the timing that she came, they knew she was pregnant before she did. Right? Yeah. And then they started marketing to her. Hey, have you got some pregnant vitamins and things like this? And she would be scratching her head going, why on earth am I getting this? And, uh, and then next minute she goes to the doctor to her, her gynae and finds out she is pregnant and apparently someone sort of put two and two together and they actually said, hey, this is a problem. You, you're knowing a little bit too much about your customers. So I, I can foresee that being something that's actually going to happen here. And in fact, Pick and Pay did it to me once. Um, I don't know if I purposefully signed up to their baby program. They have a baby cro- program. They have a pet program. They have a, it's, it's the baby club, the wine club, the, the pet club. And I guess at one stage, I just signed up to all of them. I don't know why. And I had two kids that were, you know, 10, 10 12 years old. And no. I still have, it was funny because I, I looked in my Twitter account the other day and I had, se- I had sent Pick and Pay a, a tweet and uh, they had made some changes to the program. And this is, uh, 
I looked in my this direct message that I sent to them, and I said, "So much so, so much for you guys, sort of." giving me these customized discounts. So far, all this week that I've got is baby nappies and formula. And I said, <laughs> either you know something about me that I don't or something's going on over here. And yeah. it turns out uh, you know, they were just a couple of years ahead of their time because now I am buying baby formula and nappies <laughs> and things. You know, uh, a few years ago in the, in the bank, we've, uh, we wanted to create a capability to, um, you know, to almost analyze the customer to advise salespeople in terms of what products they should take up. Mm-hmm. So it very simplistic, simplistically start off by a few questions because in those days, you know, we didn't have all the data available. So what the sales agent will ask you is 10 questions. And okay. they would complete the 10 questions and there's an algorithm running at the back and that algorithm then we'll give you a bit of a needs analysis to say, oh, yeah, Elon needs a home loan and he needs this and needs that. So, so not surprisingly, we've stopped that a few years ago. Uh, we stopped that because it wasn't successful. And I've always said, uh, I've always said, it will never be successful to to really run um, behavioral or a, or a needs um, uh, analysis on on a complex human being. You know, you need enormous amounts of data and you need data far beyond what we have, what we've had available. Ten questions not going to cut it to really um, explain what you as a customer really need. And to your point, um, and some of that, and my, actually my other point around the baby products, which you've mentioned, was that some of the, I've always said to them, you know, be careful because it's almost like a medical student in third year. You, you, then you're at your yeah. danger, most dangerous stage because you just know enough to be dangerous. Yes, exactly. And and those ten questions is probably just enough to, to for was probably just enough for us to be dangerous at that point in time. So that's where AI comes in. And to your point, this is where this is where these devices starts to play uh, a crucial role in terms of augmenting data onto your basic data to start to run that AI and then to, to perform needs analysis on the customer on a continuous basis. But uh, so, so yes, to, to answer you on the initial question on why did I get the device? Why can I get yeah, the cell phone? It seems like such a good deal. Uh, it seems or, like or such a good deal. Did but company really think about it? You know, oh, I outsmarted them. Ha, ha, ha. Look at me. But but behind the scenes, I think sometimes, and hopefully, it's either the people that really think about it and that uh, really planned it and architected it at the back, or it's accidental in terms of very simplistically. Your first question is it only for delight? I must say that there is companies and there is capabilities out there in South Africa, but it's less than a handful that really have. Uh, the future insights to think that far, to actually actually want to assemble your data and actually use that data for bigger purposes. Well, Louis, I feel like I could sit and talk to you for hours over here. And the good news is I'm going to because I definitely want to have you back for another episode. But I really want to say thank you to you for giving us such a great insight into how loyalty programs work, the psychology behind it, the different market segments. You've made me think about things that I've never thought about before. And I'm very curious to get your insights on some of the new programs that are coming out, as well as some of the existing, some of the the big market leading ones that are already 
have a big footprint in South Africa because I'm sure you've got some very interesting insights as to which ones you think are going to work and which ones you think maybe need some work to be done to them and how it can benefit people like you and me because at the end of the day, we're all consumers, aren't we? So what we want is a good deal and if there's a way for us to learn how to really benefit from these programs, why not? So thanks very much. Uh, Elon, thanks very much and thanks for inviting me and uh, yeah, I'll be glad to be back and let's have the, let's continue the discussion. Thanks. That's it for this episode. Subscribe to our podcast for more exciting and informative episodes and learn how to maximize your loyalty rewards. Thank you for listening. Until the next time. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.